Thank you for tuning in to Healing Race. In this video, we continue discussing what makes some members of the Black community upset when parts of their culture are adopted by others. What is at the root of those feelings? How can you adopt parts of another culture, particularly one that has been historically exploited and persecuted in a way that is respectful and accepted? To make it even more personal and real, Andre and I discuss an incident from early in our friendship where I expressed wanting to put my hair in cornrows, a traditionally black hairstyle. What about that idea didn't and still doesn't sit right with Andre? And what might explain the different feelings people have about the spread of their cultures to others? Let's get to that conversation now. Enjoy. At the end of the day, let's say you as an individual saw someone in your network, a white person with cornrows, and you had some sort of reaction to it. If at the end of the day, through conversation- No white person in my network would dare come around me looking like that. <laughs> no, but listen, so, <laughs> so would, if the issue is one of skepticism, of motivation- you may still counsel them, hey, listen, out there in the world, you're going to get blowback from some people, right? You may mm -hmm. still counsel them in that way. But let's say someone knows what their motivation is, and they know their motivation is appreciation. They saw some sort of form of expression with hair, and they're like, I really like that, and I, I want to try it, right? And you took them at their word. You knew You knew this person, or you talked it through. And you understood they really are coming from that place. How would you then feel about it? If you knew and felt confident of their motivation, how would you then same. feel about it? What's that? The same. You'd still feel the same. Why would yes. you still feel the like same? I, I appreciate your motivation, but your motivation is severely lacking the weight of history. Like because I, I feel, what about I would feel it? the same. I mean, you're lacking, especially in the case of cornrows. You're, I mean, it's almost as though, to me, it almost feels like you're mocking that, like I said, the way the ways in which Africanness and even identifying with African identity have been put down. Like I admire that this you're not coming from malevolent motivation, but I mean, why would it feel mocking to you? I'm great. I struggle because I I struggle. Sometimes I struggle in the United States. I really, really do because there's a certain thing called good taste, and just in good taste, why would you do some shit like that? So I understand that you have a you have a good motivation, but just in good taste, given the history, maybe you don't, maybe you put your personal needs aside and err on the side of being sensitive to a people who may or may not be offended. What's what's the bad taste? What's the bad taste? The bad taste is engaging in something, engaging in something in a culture that has nothing to do, like for example, that has nothing to do with you, right? So that you're not a part of. And especially when there's been suffering in that community behind the very thing that you want to sport again, that, that, that you like, right? In this case, a particular hairstyle. And I had this very personal moment around this uh, earlier. So like I said, I am a cook and I was watching uh, a wonderful, wonderful chef out of Australia 
make this, he was traveling throughout uh, Thailand, Laos, Vietnam, a lot of countries, and I love Asian food from all cultures. I love, I adore it. It is my passion, Asian food. And this weekend on Friday night, I swear to God, I made some braised pork that was out of sight. I took pork shoulder and cut it and sliced it, and marinated in like seven or eight different spices, and it was so Asian, it was amazing. And I thought to myself, I said, I should write an Asian cookbook. <laughs> and this is just me literally in Rhapsody over what I had just created, eating it. And I was like, Andre, that's offensive. <laughs> First of all, you are nowhere near any kind of Asian. And how are you going to go and represent these people and their food, especially if you've never studied it, right? Mm -hmm. Now, do I know how to make... So I'm getting to the point where I... I like to make Asian food in my home more than I buy it out. Because mm. I think the food, the, the Chinese food, the Thai curries that I make and all those things, I make it better than what I get in a restaurant. Mm -hmm. But what do I look like going out into the world, you know, public, I guess I'm publicizing that now, but trying to say I know better than these people's culture, even if my, because I'm not going for a motivation of exploiting Asian culture. I generally appreciate all the various food, like I said, from all the countries. But that would be insensitive to me, for me as not even being a part of any Asian culture or community to, to do something like that. It's, it's kind of an cultural appropriation and it would be in poor taste, even if my motivation is to honor this cuisine that I absolutely love. Like I'm, uh, we're trying to get into a very fabulous and chic Asian restaurant for my upcoming birthday yeah. uh, in another city that we're going to. <laughs> And I just, I'm like, oh my God, we gotta have Chinese food. Gotta have like authentic Chinese food. And so you gotta remember, you have to order the duck a day in advance. So make sure you order the duck like this. And, 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 I, and, I, and I know how Peking duck is made, absolutely wonderful. But just in, in, to me, it's in poor taste to sort of insert yourself, even if your intention is good or not from a malevolent place in something without, with, with, without, without any regard for the history. And if you do so, try to do it in the most responsible manner as possible. That's why I said I would still have the same reaction just because it just seems like a big disregard, especially knowing the relationship between blacks and whites in this country and so much vitriol that's come at us for you know being the descendants of African people and how the ways in which Africanness and African expression have been stymied and even exploited by European cultures, how art was stolen, artifacts and all these different things. There's just, there's way more history in it than to say, I think that hairstyle looks good. It's almost kind of naive and glib and, and you know, like to, to engage in that. So your 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 feeling that it's in bad taste is okay. You may have your personal reasons for wanting to express yourself uh, in this way and, and appreciate in appreciation. Uh, um, but because not just that this is tied to identity, let's say cornrows specifically, it's tied to history as well. But it's tied to but because it's there's a history of either making fun of or discriminating based on hair or um exploiting um you know exploiting and taking and then making profits on um ways of creating uh, or expressing you feel like that hits a sore point of history. Yes. And so it's in bad taste because it's the it hits reason I'm not going to write a Chinese cookbook. <laughs> yes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so 
so in the in the in the example of your Asian your Asian cuisine, what's the issue? The issue is saying I've made this kind of Asian dish, or the issue is making money on making a certain. Well, the style. issue is me putting myself in the world as an authority on Asian cuisine, sure. and number one, not being Asian, and number yes. two, I'm not in an Asian community, and I've never studied the cuisine sure. formally in a culinary. Yeah. Yes. No, I think that totally makes and sense. And also kind of... the memes that have been made about Asians and Asian, and I don't even, I don't even like the term Asian, right? Because they're distinct cultures. You have Chinese people, Vietnamese people, sure. Laotian people, Thai people, you have the Malay. And, 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 I've, and I've actually been to, not China, but I've been to most of those countries. Mm-hmm. And even within those countries, like one of the most diverse places on the planet, and it's ironic to say it, is Singapore. Like you meet all kinds of people there, Europeans, yeah. Africans, all sorts of Asian people. And yeah. I just would want to do to give a sense of respect. And, and, and part of that is, you know, unless, unless that I'm some sort of direct participant in or anything like that, I just would see, see an import taste for me to try to publicly go out and could proclaim myself an authority yes. on Chinese cooking, for example. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I do it I, in I, my I, home really, really well. Yeah, no, I understand that. Uh, that that makes sense uh, to me. Um, to that's proclaiming something that you're that you have not achieved at least, or or, or proclaiming yourself as equal to someone who has done whatever they have done in learning yes. the cuisine. So that that more makes sense to me than just kind of a fashion choice than you make, or you know, the spreading of culture. But they say, um, oh, I like Chinese food. I'm going to write a Chinese cookbook. They're like, yeah. You see well, Chinese people writing African cookbooks or Southern African American cookbooks? No. But there you know, are people around the world who stuff. try to, let's say, learn French cuisine and they go learn in some sort of formal, intensive way how to do French yeah, cuisine. But how, yeah, but what people of color have exploited, what people of color have exploited French people? You know what I mean? Like what I'm saying, I think when you start getting into the territory of dealing with people of color, there, there's some sensitivities there. I can understand their sensitivities and I can, I, I guess, I guess I would wonder about, let's say someone who, so let's take it out of the realm of just a hairdo, right? And that I understand has a lot of meaning, but something that's, let's say, easy to replicate, you go have someone who knows how to do cornrows and at least they would try to, you know, do it on hair like this. I don't know how, how successful they would be, but um, let's take some form of African cuisine, right? Which which the learning curve on that would be a lot greater, right? What if someone went to Kenya, right? And um, learned some form of East African cuisine and really did it in an intensive way. And they're just, they're not African, but they were welcomed in, they were taught, right? Um, this was even done in meditation, um, in, in, in certain forms of like Buddhist meditation, there are people who are not of Asian descent, um, who went to, let's say Nepal or, or to India or somewhere, you know, or, you know, Taoism is another example, um, who go learn with somebody who, you know, some authority and they, they go through the steps that anyone would have to go through and they come out on the other end. Would you still have a, a, a challenge with that if they actually embedded themselves in the community? Well, I, think these things the aren't equal. I think the thing, and I think these things are not equal and the sort of litmus test or a bit of a litmus test is the ability for economic profit, right? 
So if a person went and studied Kenyan cuisine, let's say some white man, right? Mm-hmm. And, and really and studied and they were welcomed in, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And like I said, what is your motivation? So for writing this Kenyan cookbook and in what way could you have supported Kenyan authorship of said cookbook, right? So mm-hmm. actually, uh, used to work with a guy who was married, who was once married to a Kenyan woman. So mm-hmm. unbeknownst, you created an example that's actually deeply personal to me. Mm-hmm. And he and I, ironically, he and I were spending some time together in Singapore. Yeah. And we were, and we were just talking, and in Thailand too. He and I were in Thailand together for work, and we were uh, talking about. Um, some cultural adjustments in his marriage. This white man was an Australian man, or he's mm-hmm. an Australian man. And I remember I said, can I offer you some advice on loving black people? Because there was something, there was things his wife would do, was, would do in the marriage that she, he didn't quite understand. And I offered him some advice um, on, on approaches to dealing with his, to, with his at the time, ex-wife, but they had a child together. So she was, they were very prevalent in one, in one another's lives, yeah. raising a child, right? So when you, when you talk about people who are in, in, embedded in communities, that, yeah, that is possible. Let's say this gentleman would have written some sort of Kenyan cookbook, right? For whatever motivation. And I think when it comes to Africans, there's been such a degree of ec- economic exploitation. My looking on giving the side eye to that has to do with, are you in some way trying to leave these people out of economic opportunity, Mm. right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Number one, when I think of something like meditation that, yes, someone can go start some sort of for-profit meditation, whatever, but largely you just want to propagate the practice because probably because you think of the good it'll do in the world. That's a little bit different, right? But I think there's some very real, tangible, and then when you're talking about a hairstyle, you know, the the way you dress and how we present has history behind it, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so you you, I turn the side eye, I give the side eye to that because you have to ask yourself: Is a person really knowledgeable of history, or is this in some sort of way a backward joke with respect to the history? So mm-hmm. I I I I take what you're saying, but I don't think these things are necessarily all equal. I think for me, that economic inducement has a lot to do with it, right? Especially when you're talking about Black people. I mean, sort of not songs we've written that have been redone by white artists, et cetera, then maybe that doesn't happen so much today. But in the beginning days of radio, that totally was the case, right? Yeah. And so being able to, to protect oneself uh, from economic exploitation is, is very key to me. Yeah, I guess I could understand it from from the perspective of asking the question, well, why isn't there why aren't there a lot of Kenyans who are spreading Kenyan Kenyan cuisine around the world and and part of that being inequalities that have been built up over time and you know, let's say an American or a European would be in a better place to spread Kenyan cuisine than a Kenyan themselves, right? Um and awesome. Uh, what's that possibly possibly yeah and so i can understand that that the same level of opportunity doesn't exist for the kenyan themselves to spread their cuisine i mean to your i I take your point on the difference between meditation and cuisine at the same time acknowledging your point i i do think that cuisine plays a special role in connecting people across the world um oh i know it does yeah so i do think that there is not just 
but I'm still not going to go write a Chinese cookbook. Yeah, uh, well, I'm just saying that you you're 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 you were saying the difference is you know benefiting you know that there's some sort of po larger positive intention in spreading let's say meditation. Um, got it. I see what you're saying. And got I'm just it, saying it. spreading cuisine can actually have some pretty strong you know like by serving Kenyan food people get to understand that there's Kenyan culture and maybe become more interested in and it. And even more to my point that economic profit should come to Kenya or to Kenyans, right? So that's why I said, like, that's why I kind of go back to that. I'm like, I do acknowledge there is a positive externality to use because I majored in econ. I didn't go anywhere with econ like Mr. Roland Fryer, but I did major in econ. <laughs> I, do, I, get, I, I take that there's this, the same yeah. positive externality, right? But what yeah. I'm also saying is that because that positive externality exists, that much more reason to make sure that the people of the originating culture get a substantial amount of the benefit. Yeah. Yeah. So I go harken back to motivation. I think so. I kind of feel as though like you and I are dancing around a very interesting topic with respect to the past and when is the past really the past. And I have shared with you and viewers of Healing Race that I don't believe the past is ever gone. You just integrated to make decisions in the future. Mm -hmm. And so for me, I always come with this vein of what's the history, what's going on, what, what's happened before we get to this point of, for example, me wanting to write a Chinese cookbook, <laughs> and then, which I kind of do, but, but uh, and then for you, it's like, well, what's, what would be wrong with that? If as long as you establish, and like I said, you know, as long as you establish that the person is not coming from some malevolent place or, you know, place of, you know, making fun of people or whatever. And for me, like I said, you just don't, people don't know you or you or your intentions or whatever. And also that stuff can easily get mischaracterized. So I think it's better to err on the side of good taste than to just steam forward to say, well, I'm going to do whatever I want to do. Anyway. And that's because you're sensitive to people and their, their feelings about just generally you're okay, sensitive I'm, to people. I'm a person also, who's sensitive to the things people have been through. Have been through. I, mean, yeah, I really, yeah. really am. So I'm not one of these people. So because you can say, oh, well, I was abused in my childhood. Oh, well, you're not being abused now. But because I get offended when people are like, well, you all aren't slaves now. I'm like, yeah, but the legacy of all of that is still with us in yeah. very minute ways. And so out of a sense of respect, you still are sensitive to a person's and how that how that may have shaped or formed a person. Yeah, I guess where I'm coming from, I, I do recovery. think there's, go ahead. It's a reason you don't drink around people who are in recovery. Have some respect, a sense of good taste, of consideration yeah. outside of your own needs. Yeah, I um, I think there's a parallel a little bit to the past and the present. I think there's also a parallel to the whole idea of um, race awareness rather than so color awareness versus color blindness and and you know your your convert your your statement that we're you understand the idea of getting to some sort of universal you know sense of each other but we're not there yet um and and it's, and it's this is that i guess what's hard for me around this conversation about culture is that culture is is so i feel like so much of what connects us um and or, or connects across boundaries that that was the food example like people get to know other other cultures well, i'm a black man cooking chinese food on friday night i'm not i'm not I saying this. I'm not i saying. get this yeah <laughs> it was good too. Let, let's Ooh. let's do let's, let, let here, here's a here's an example eminem how do you feel about eminem as a rapper <laughs> 
Well, I'm not, I don't, I'm, I don't really or, listen. To- how do you think we should approach Eminem as a rapper, as a, as a, as a very popular, successful rapper? I mean, I can't answer that question. What I will say, I, it, I, I, I chuckled because when Eminem first came out among me and my friends, it was, because uh, <laughs> Eminem kept singing them songs about, about killing, I think at the time, maybe his girlfriend, the mother of his child. And, you know, he was closely aligned with Dre because I don't, I don't know if Dre discovered him or what. Just uh, yeah, he did. I think he helped. Dre discovered him. I think he but, discovered uh, him and helped help promote him, I think. Yeah, and helped promote him, yeah. And so um, my friends and I would always say, uh, Dre need to watch out. You're going to end up in that basement. He's singing about, (laughs) so basically be skeptical. But Mm -hmm. I do think, I mean, I can't speak for Eminem, but in my opinion, I think he's done approached rap with a respect for the game and its original intent, which was to communicate a sense of frustration in your surroundings and and also an awareness of what your surroundings are. Mm -hmm. Songs of his that I remember the most are in his relationship. I think the lady name was Kim with his relationship. Mm -hmm. And just like, I mean, it sounds like it was a really good emotional outlet just because it was a relationship that took him through a lot of emotional, you know, back and forth. Mm -hmm. Uh, So to answer your question, how we should approach that. You know, like I said, I hearken back to being responsible. So yeah. it wasn't Eminem and a whole bunch of white boys out there. We're going to do some rap. Like, I mean, I hate, I guess you would say Dre de facto was the one who kind of vouched for him by promoting him, right? Like, no, this, this. But he got flack for it. Dre got flack for it. I know he did. And, and I know that I know we, why he got the flack for it. Yeah. However, he, but however, he continued on the messages. No, you should give this guy some consideration he's real in this game Mm -hmm. so and and then once you say that often enough and then you create enough touch points with someone like an Eminem where the culture of black people can see that enough then okay you know we we're we're open to this right yeah but initially coming from that place of skepticism that's where I'm coming from and that's where in this example you're giving Eminem initially a lot of people came from that place yeah. Not to say the skepticism can be overcome, but given the history, that's where the responsibility part comes in and doing this in such a way that is responsible and not perceived as disrespectful. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what what I like about the example, what, what I guess I pre- appreciate about the example is it then becomes something that, let's say, white and Black people can co-create and create together. Um, and that, that's just something that makes me happy. I, I you know, it's just the, the idea that well, we hell, look at the two of us <laughs> We're <laughs> creating this together. Yeah. I, I think some of, and I don't feel this feeling, but I'm just going to channel what I think some people in the white community would, would say is, and this gets back to the idea of a white identity. Even there's a lot of people who don't who who appear as white, who don't have a sense of having a white identity. And there's a lot of things that let's say originated by white people, but they don't feel there's just not a lot of equivalence in the white community of things that they own as defining of their identity. Like I'll throw just, I don't know, some example, because we started with the majorettes. Um, 
with dance, I have no idea where, where swing dancing came from. Um, I don't know if it came from a black community or white community or where, um, what's another one? Fox, where the Fox Trot. What's that? <laughs> the Foxtrot or, or wherever it may, there has got to, there's some dance in that social dance repertoire that came from white people, right? Who didn't define themselves as white. They didn't say this is a white dance, right? Although I'm sure people did that at some point, you know, um, and, you know, there were just be very few people in this world or white people in this country, let's say, who would see black people take up, you know, um, swing dancing or or any of those dances that might have come from. Again, I don't know the history of these dances, but I have to imagine one of them probably came in a lineage from white people uh, originated who would who would who would feel like there was any kind of disrespect in joining the 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 swing dancing world right and so there there isn't a lot there aren't a lot of things that feel that way to to groups of white people and again you know i'm a little different i would if if anything it would be kind of jewish heritage versus you know white heritage but um, I could see how it would be hard to understand for a white person because there's nothing that defines their racial identity in that way. There's nothing they would not want to share and do together because there's nothing that defines their identity in that way. Um, I and completely so disagree with you. What, and I think I completely disagree with you. And I think of two things. First what of all, thing? my passion for cl European classical music and white people very much there was a deliberate desire to, and the movie Chevalier, there's a movie that I believe is supposed to come premiere this year about a black man who was a prodigy in Paris with playing the violin. And the insinuation in the movie, I don't know how historically accurate it is that he helped start the French Revolution, the first French Revolution have been five yeah. since yeah. the country's been in existence. But I get to what you're saying. So I disagree. I do believe that there are things that white people hold very cherished as to being a part of whiteness and, and not only just whiteness, but refined whiteness. And mm. I use classical music and the prevalence and of the, the, I mean, the diversity, the lack of diversity throughout the years in playing classical music and who's booked yeah. in concert halls, et cetera. And I know it. You want to know why? Because I have season tickets. <laughs> so when I go, I, for real, I'll never get. Hold on, hold on, I'm telling you this story. Yeah, yeah. So tell, tell the story because I'm going to agree with part of what you said, but I I want to clarify what I was saying. But anyways, go ahead. I was at the symphony one night, and during the intermission, and I always buy really good seats for the symphony. Yeah. And I was I was in the orchestra section, and I turned and I looked, and there was just a sea of white faces, and I was like, wow, <laughs> like. And other times I'd be scared. <laughs> and I was like, so first of all, where are the black people? And there were a few, but they were literally ink drops in a gallon of milk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then number two, I said, I, I said, I have to wonder, I'm not going to say absolutely, but I have to wonder whether there are certain spaces that white people cultivate to get away from us. Mm. And that's all I'll say. Yeah, I mean, listen, I was not meaning in my comment to negate the long history of areas of spaces where Black people were not um, welcome, right? I mean, I saw a report recently on um, ballet, and I forget who the yep. female is who kind of broke that boundary um, of being a the kind of star ballet ballerina in in, a, in productions. 
Um, and obviously the same as the, the Copeland, the, Lauren the, Anderson, the, 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 the history of gymnastics, right. Um, and the breakthroughs, you know, of previous people previous to Simone Biles, but, you know, obviously Simone Biles is a, now a cultural icon of, of female uh, gymnastics. So, um, there were lots of spaces where black people were excluded and they were only white spaces. Um, and I, you know, I don't doubt that there are are still people who who feel that way. Um, I guess there's just I would say there's a lot of us who who present as white, who people would say are, are white, who feel no association at all with some artistic form that we would say is white. Um, and maybe I'm just maybe I just never connected with those. I mean. I think it's just you never connected with those. Possibly, I but I think there's a lot of white people who feel I'm around a lot of white people who feel the same, who who don't think there's a certain hairstyle or form of dance or form of song that is distinctly white and is meant to to define the white the white identity. What about expression of pride in your country? I mean, you express black people often painted as unpatriotic. Yeah, I know. I know you shared that previously. We don't fulfill an expectation that white people have of how you should uh, uh, manifest patriotism in the United States. Yeah, listen, there are white nationalists. I'm not going to say that there aren't groups of people who who think that, who connect United States to whiteness. Um, there are certainly- strands, Christianity. Uh, and Christianity, right. Um, I just, I am hard pressed I can tell you things that define the Jewish community, right? The kippah on the head, the talit worn under the dress, the for you know people who are conservative or orthodox wearing certain kinds of clothing, the white shirt and the black the black you know suit, the the black hat, you know the growing of the beard. Though a lot of cultures do that, of course the the payas, right? There's a lot of things that define Jewish identity. Um, and I just have not seen outside of white supremacist, neo-Nazi, white nationalist circles, I have not seen a lot of things that the larger white population kind of claim as their own, um, as defining their identity as whiteness. And it and is it being of it being dis disrespectful for some other, you know, ethnicity or race to even you know think of doing those things because clearly those are those are white things again this is i i understand there's there's plenty of bias in all historically in all sorts of circles um but i don't think you i guess what i'm trying to distinguish here is i don't think i don't think you're saying todd you can't wear cornrows because you are biased against me i don't take you as being biased against me as a white person i take you as saying this is my identity um and and that being your motivation and i just i've never grown up around any kind of white people that have any forms of expression that they define that define their whiteness um in that same way putting aside a bias itself right like a ballerina couldn't like couldn't be a ballerina and look like be black right um which i know was part of tons of people did that or i know tons of people did that I mean, that's what example, i'm saying there's bias and then there's like the like like holding on to identity and i just haven't been around 
that from the white perspective. I say you have, I think you have, and maybe it just was not called out in the ways in which I'm calling out. And I say that because the Super Bowl was next weekend. And for some black history, this is the first time that two black quarterbacks have ever started the Super Bowl. And I remember uh, a comedian once saying when back when Obama was president, it was like, it's a black comedian, but I forget his last name. And he was saying, I remember when people questioned whether a black man could even lead a football team, let alone be the head of this nation. You know what I mean? And I think I think I think white men really do define leader as whiteness, as, as you know, like like that's something that white men, when you think leadership, you think white. That's what I'm trying to articulate. And that to me, that was emblematic in something like the history of the NFL, right? Where up until this year, the biggest game that's televised worldwide, and it is because I was in France once with the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. And, and there was always a white man leading. And now two black men are leading each both super, the Super Bowl teams. And I think- so, so here's the distinction that I would make around that. I think the motivations behind the exclusion are different in this way. I think when people say that about a quarterback NASCAR driver, a ballerina, I think they're talking from the point of view of capability. I think they're saying a black person couldn't be a good quarterback or couldn't be a good NASCAR driver. I think capability and just not wanting them to, because yeah, that's what I think, capability and just not wanting them to. Maybe not wanting them to. I mean, it could be like, I don't want to see a black person as a quarterback. I I just have never heard it expressed as I'm just telling you the honest truth. I have never heard it expressed. And I take your point, like maybe some somewhere in people's heads of the white people around me, maybe they have this, but I've just never, there's nothing in the culture that I've ever, that I've ever seen in, in my, my life that has said this, this is white identity. Like this thing is attached to white identity. And so anyone doing this who is not white is disrespecting white identity. I'm not saying there's not people like that. There are white nationalists, neo-Nazis, white supremacists who clearly do that. But in the large, the, the, the kind of broader spectrum of white people, I've just, I've never, I've never seen it defined that way. I've seen people again. I just, I think we see examples of it every Christmas with white Santa Claus. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, I think that's, that is fair. White Jesus. <laughs> I, I love you, I really do, but you've never been on the receiving end of the vitriol. Not, and I mean, I'm, when I don't say you, I don't mean, I don't mean your people. I mean, I mean I'm, I'm not Christian, Christian, so I obviously don't, but I have heard that, you know. You personally, yes. I'm like, no, I'm like, this is Jesus. <laughs> Jesus, there are some people right now that will fight you tooth and nail if you say Jesus wasn't white. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. No, I know that. That's for that's for sure. Yeah, Christianity. I will agree with that. I will. That is that is an example. Point taken. Point taken. That is absolutely an example. I guess I was thinking a little more in the terms of like dance and music and and you know hairdos and <laughs> you went deep with with religion. I go deep. Our savior. <laughs> I, I, yes, baby. What is more personal than a man that's gonna save you from burning in hell? He's it's gotta be a white man. For real. Because we have not arguments, but strong debates in my family about that, about not not the racial heritage of Jesus, but yep. the psychological imagery of that. Sure. Yes. 
Yes. I'm not yes. advocating either one. I'm not, I'm not out here trying to stroke, stroke Christians. That's between you and your God. But yes. what I am telling you is that there's a certain psychological thing at play that a white man is going to save you from internal damnation as long as you obey him. Uh-huh. Yeah. You or that. just the desire among white people to see that savior as, as white because, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. For Jesus sure. is white, love white women and football. Yeah, 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 yeah. As a gay black man, that's what I pick up from the culture. Yeah. So, yeah, so so perhaps another dimension is that there has been, and this this is something that the Jewish community can relate to a lot. Um, so you talked about persecution, like being excluded because, let's say, of hair, like you've talked about all the things wrapped up in, let's say, cornrows, right? Um, exploitation, um, and and so wearing wearing cornrows, having your hair in cornrows is kind of opens up those wounds, triggers those wounds. You know, another portion of this is that there have been a lot of spaces that even if I feel like a lot of white people in my circles don't have things they attach to white identity, your point of at the very least, and, and again, Jesus and, 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 and Santa Claus point taken aside, <laughs> aside, your point at the very least, they've, that black people have been excluded from these, from these split places for all sorts of racial biases, which I do wholeheartedly obviously agree with. I could understand, well, hey, hell, we've been excluded some, from so many places that supposedly we're all these all white spaces. Like, why can't we have some of our own, right? Why can't we have our cultural heritage that is kind of off limits? Now, I, I know that some people, not just in the white community or black community, would say, but then we're just doing in reverse, right? Why are we going to exclude people from being like us when they were excluding us from being like them, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so they'll bring up that, that point. Um, I just want to say the Jewish community and its history relates a lot to what you just said, right? Because they were left out of a lot of spaces, academic spaces, professional spaces, which is why they cultivated, you know, finance and entertainment, right? These were spaces that were seen as lower spaces, mm -hmm. like, um, you know, like the entertainment space was like the vaudeville, you know, mm -hmm. genre. And it was like, these were all like where not refined whites go, right? Yeah. You know, so it was left to, no left to Jews, right? And so they cultivated those spaces. Um, but it's still hard for me to then understand why I mean, I have a lot more understanding from this conversation. So there's still something inside of me that just wants to feel like we can just share and connect cultures. There is, there's, that's, I don't think that's ever going to go away from me, you know, because there's something to me that's beautiful about that, right? Like uh, all the, all your points about feeling upset about it taken, there's something about emulating one another that, that does feel meaningful to me um the fact that you even if you wouldn't call yourself as an uh, yourself an authority on chinese food the fact that you love it and want to learn it learn how to cook it oh, better yeah. is is oh, a beautiful yeah. thing andre right because it, it would be so such a sorry state of affairs if you could only cook african-american food or food from the african you know from from the african continent right uh, and Chinese food, people can only cook Chinese food, right? That level of of rigidity of cultural 
kind of um, mm -hmm. boundaries would be just so sad. I understand you don't want to say you're an authority, but the fact that you want to invest in it, that feels mm -hmm. wonderful to me, which is where my I motivation bowls comes and spoons from. And chopsticks and everything <laughs> absolutely no yeah. totally you know that, that 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 brings me joy that kind of thing so that's why that's my motivation and kind of pressing on this issue of sharing of cultural expression it, it more comes from that that motivation it's um and I, yeah i don't i think i have a lot more understanding of where you're coming from and where people would come from um it and it's 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 intention with this other motivation of you know, the same with Italian. Todd was starry-eyed. Todd just seeing a world where we're just all, you know, sharing sharing. Culture. I was chuckling because, as you know, I know men, and as you were talking, I just keep hearing "do good a white boy, do good a white boy, do good a white boy," and <laughs> and and we need do good a white boys. Is there anything the not beautiful? But is that beautiful in its putting aside the hurt? Is there in the history, which I know is big and major? Is there not something? wonderful to you about that kind of sharing of culture if if, if it could be okay. achieved so so the answer is yes so right. i first of all i've been in a relationship with a costa rican man for five years now we're yeah. getting married we had yeah. to speak we had to learn each other's languages when i when i met guillermo he spoke no english and yeah. I had taken Spanish in high school, but yeah. I only remember one word, one verb, gustar. And I yeah. was conjugating it incorrectly. And some kind of way, we hobbled together a date and hobbled together a relationship. And now we're creating a life, right? Yeah. So, and, and so our, like I was telling my mother, I said, we are an Afro-Latino family. What that means is rice and beans. I said, we eat rice and beans a lot in my family. You know, with us now, me personally, I love rice and beans, so I'm I'm really big on that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he likes the way I make beans, by the way, but I make them in a black way that uses a lot of spices because like, I made them for Christmas. I made the beans for Christmas. Yeah. And but to answer your question, it is a beautiful thing. I'm actively engaged in that now. Yeah. Guillermo yeah. and I are from. We speak different languages. We're for. He's Latino. I am black, and in different cultures and everything. He's part of the Tico people. Tico is the name of the native people in Costa Rica. Mm. He's mm -hmm. Tico. And I am African-American, U.S., and all that different stuff. So it is a beautiful thing. But it's all done, in my, at least in my family and in my household, with respect. So even our wedding, right? When I asked him, I was like, are there any sort of traditional Costa Rican things that you want to do in the wedding? He said, no, this would be a standard wedding or whatever. But it's always done under the guise of respect. And even he and I have had conversation about using the n-word and i'm like first of all you don't use that i will never use that word in front yeah. of you and you don't use that word because yeah. people outside of us in this bedroom don't know you like that <laughs> yeah and so the yeah. n-word i can understand blackface i can understand because it was specifically ridicule it was harder for me to understand the cornrows i i get it a lot more like where the hurt would be um but because I don't, I haven't perceived that or understood that to be some kind of ridiculing um, imagery in my mind, that one was harder because it felt like just something cultural that could could easily be shared. Um, and I, again, this is taking all of your points. That's why that one was a little harder for me. May I share something with you, yeah. though, yeah. Uh, about your background, not about yeah. your Jewishness, but about being from Southern California? Yeah. So, because to me, okay, so I'm not from Southern California. Yeah. And 
us in my part of the country, we've always seen whiteness to be part Southern California, especially when it comes to way of speaking. And you, I'm like, when I remember as a kid, I remember it was a big thing for girls to use the word like a lot. And they kept saying like this, like that, like, 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 it was so annoying. And as I watch Bravo television, and I see a lot of shows filmed in Southern California and all of the women are skinny with blonde hair and whatnot. It just seems like there is a certain depiction of, of living and a certain style of speech that is associated with being white and being from Southern California. Did you ever feel any sort of expectation of fulfilling that or did, were you unwittingly fulfilling you know, this image that the rest of the country has about being white and from Southern California? Yeah, no, I feel no connection to it. Well, I feel connection to a certain kind of ethos of living, which is laid back, even though I'm very, you know, type A and go, go, go and plan, plan, plan. That ethos of of take life slow and drink it up is definite. And I, you know, I wasn't a surfer, which that's very kind of a surfer culture. Um, but it's interesting you say this. So I never felt an attachment or identity in that way. When I went to college, you know, people actually thought I was from the East Coast because I was like very direct. I didn't, you know, mince words and I didn't like dance around things. You know, I would just say things the way it is, which I guess is the prototype of East, you know, in, in East, our Eastern culture in people's minds. But um, D, what, what's what's his name? D, Dale Hewley. Is that, did I get his name right? Dale Hewley. The community, the comedian. The comedian. Yes. So he was recently, you know, doing a guest spot, or maybe still is on the Daily Show. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have rotating hosts now. The term. Yeah, they have. Yeah, and um, he did something um, where he went around and said, like, like, what's the most black thing you've done, or what's the most <laughs> white thing you've done? And one of the people, actually, one of the one of the black um, mem- um, question, you know, uh, you know, people on the street said, you know, surfing was the most white thing I did. So, you know, I could. I never knew that that was any any like um, image of like what the white South Southern Californian was. Like I I didn't even know that. Um, but hearing that, I was like, oh, do just black people just think like surfing's just like a white thing? Um, I, and there's also been some problems, some tension there because as black people have gotten more into surfing, the surfer culture feels now infiltrated and like their sort of identity. I won't say is under attack, but it's being infiltrated by this sort of how people who traditionally have not been a part of it. Yeah. You see, the thing is, is that what that does for me is, and this is, again, some of the motivation behind my questions kind of in reverse around the cornrows is I would be I would be arguing with those people. Right. I would feel sad about those people trying to think that. Whatever they think the culture is that one, that culture can't change in some way by by new influences, and two, mm-hmm. the very least, that that culture can't accept Black people wanting to, you know, um, to to be part of it, right? It, it just, that that kind of thing upsets me. The 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 documentary on the Black ballerina and, and that this woman actually heard that you couldn't look like a ballerina because you have dark skin, as if a ballerina could only look one, like, could only look white, just was eye-opening, those things are eye-opening for me, and they just, they so rub against my, what I experienced in my world, and what I aspire to in our world, that that's really what the motivation is when I, when I ask you these questions, um, 
so maybe I am that do-gooder, you know, white boy, but, um, oh, you are. <laughs> you are. anyways, this was really enlightening this part of the conversation. Thank you for watching this episode of Healing Race and stay with us for a scene from our next video. If you wanna see more conversations like the one you just watched, please subscribe to our channel, share this video with friends and family, and like and comment on the video below. If you'd like to be a guest on one of our episodes and have an open, real conversation about race, email us at guests at healingraceshow.com. And if there are topics you think we should cover, we'd love to hear them. So please email your ideas to topics at healingraceshow.com. As always, thanks for your support. We look forward to continuing the conversation with you. Now, here's a scene from our next Healing Race. This is all to say that, that I particularly feel a strong relationship to a story like a Harriet Tubman, right? Because it, it connects me to, to my grandmother's story and to my grandmother's own courage, right? I'm just bringing. Would this... you trust a non-Jew to tell your grandmother's story? Like and, and I was about to like, say, if that. I, like, well, I guess I couldn't say. I was about to say, if I made a movie of your grandparents' life, you would trust me with that. This is a broad friendship. Yeah. But, you know, like I mean, because I mean, that's I didn't know. I did not know that about your grandmother. Thank you for sharing it. It's incredibly apropos. And 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 so my question is like, would you trust someone who was not a direct beneficiary to you know to tell that story? Because as Black people, we don't necessarily have that trust. And when have white people ever built work to build that trust with us where we could hand it off to? So, no, I, I, my heart is incredibly closed to this concept. It really yeah. is.